Hey, once again, the time has arrived. You know what time it is. It's the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Now, I'm Cole Wright, joined by the fellas. It's Tony Andraki and Andy Martinez. And gentlemen, we know the postseason, it is right around the corner. And you're going to catch up in just a little bit with Marlins.com beat writer Joe Frazzaro. You guys are going to get a complete comprehensive scouting report on those fighting fish down there in sunny South Florida. But in the meantime, you know, let's get to some of the keys to this wild card series versus those fish. And you know what? At least for me, the one thing that jumps off the page is the utilization of small ball, guys. We've seen that in so many games down the stretch, the ability to lay down bunts, hit and run, get hit by pitches, just manufacture runs. It's so it, – it, it really jumps off the page, like I said – in the postseason because it's not really practiced against. And that's during a usual 162-game season, let alone a 60-game season, when practice is not something that we really see. It's almost like, Alan, practice? We're talking about practice? Not a game, not a game, not a game, but practice. But, yeah, we're talking about a game and the ability to be able to practice. And when you're playing games every single day, the ability to get that repetition in that every single day and you don't see guys take batting practice out there every day, which means that they're not always taking live fielding practice. So to be able to implement that, it's not always at the forefront. And when you see bunts get laid down and guys hitting and running, you just see other defenses that they're put into a tailspin. And that's one thing that I would really love to see from the Cubs, if they could use that to their advantage. I mean, you have Billy Hamilton, you have Cameron Maben, you have Javi Baez, you have Nico Horner. You have all these different guys who have the ability to put the small ball in play. And right now, if you can, if you can get small ball going, I really think that you can win. Yeah, no, I actually, I agree a hundred percent. I think, uh, I think, Ross agrees too with you, Cole, because he was talking yesterday about how Billy Hamilton could be the type of piece and type of weapon that helps you win a World Series. So I, I agree. I think that, you know, it's coming down to the Marlins too, and, and we heard it from Joe that you guys are here in a bit, is this is a, a good young starting rotation for the Marlins, and, and the Cubs will have to make them work. And that's the key to me is it's just finding a way to, to get to these young Marlins pitchers uh, that we'll hear more from Joe on that too. But just it, finding a way to score and this offense has struggled at times they've had inconsistencies this year and doing those little things whether it's Billy Hamilton stealing a base or or moving a guy over on a leadoff double and then getting him in with an out I think that'll be the key it's what how the Cubs are able to execute and push across those runs because I think the Cubs will pitch very very well in this series and it'll come down to potentially some some three two or, or two one ball games. Yeah, going off that point too, like the the Cubs offense, it seems like it's finally getting some good luck to go their way. Uh, I mean, you saw it uh, in the in the Pittsburgh series. You saw it in series past. They were hitting the ball hard, and it was being hit right at someone. Like I think of that that Anthony Rizzo uh, fly ball in Detroit, um, where he crushed that ball, smoked it, and it's a it's a fly out to the warning track. Like in any other park, that's a home run, and it's just like that. Just seemed like what the Cubs' luck was all this year. And then you look at Cam Maven yesterday, he hits a, a single, the single that got Billy Hamilton in the third where Cam Maven was joking like, hey, you should have scored. That single, uh, that feels like a week ago. That's probably two feet lower and it's caught for a nice line out, uh, second, second base uh, line out to Nick Madrigal. But this, it, it just seems like the luck is finally starting to go the Cubs way, which I mean, what better time than in the postseason, right? Like the postseason, it's, it's getting there, it's going their way. And the key too for me, you mentioned those young flamethrowers. They're good. Sixto Sanchez, Sandy Alcantara, um, and Pablo Lopez, they're all really great arms. But here's the thing. 
what what happens to them when when they go down three one and they've got a runner on second in the fourth inning, fifth inning, and it's a tie game and and you know the season rides on it. Like it's going to be tough. For, it's going to be a different environment for them. Something they're not used to. Um, it'll be it's going to be interesting. And they, these are hitters they frankly haven't seen at all this year. They haven't seen much at all. Period. The key for them it'll be taking as many pitches, working counts, and being patient. Uh, the Cubs have seen the third most pitches per plate appearance in baseball. If they can do that, I think they'll have a lot of success against the Marlins, Marlins pitches, pitchers, regardless of, uh, of how great they are. Yeah, I'm just a sucker for that production and manufacturing runs. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to be like Bruce Springsteen in glory days, but, you, you know, I, as I think back to my junior college days, we got one hit in a game and we won that ball game three to one, just by the ability to manufacture runs, guys getting hit by pitches, hitting, hitting and running, stealing and stopping, and just being able to push runs across. I mean, that, that's what it really is all about in the postseason, being able to win ball games. It doesn't really matter how you win ball games. It's just being able to get that W at the game's end. And, you know, I'm going to be completely honest. I haven't watched a whole bunch of Miami Marlins baseball in 2020. I mean, with the, with the season being – Every single day, night in and night out, we get done with games, post-game, and then it's, you know, you get some rest in, and then you're right back to the studio to get that pregame show in the very next day. So I know you guys caught up with Joe Frazzaro, Marlins.com beat writer. And like I said earlier at the top of the show, he's going to give everyone a complete comprehensive scouting report on those fighting fish. So let's have a listen. Joe, first off, what has this season been like covering the Marlins? It's obviously, you know, it got off to – to an inauspicious start a little bit with with the outbreak and the way the virus affected the team. But obviously for them to rebound from that and, and get to the playoffs is very impressive. But kind of just can you take us through how they've gotten to this point in the year? Yeah, I mean, as you know, the, the journey started with 18 guys testing positive for COVID uh, within the first three days of the, of the season. So uh, and after that was eight days of quarantine in Philadelphia. And they shipped uh, the 18 back on a on a bus. They they bust them back to Miami while their surviving members went over to Baltimore. Literally, the front office had to piece together a bullpen and a roster because of the 18, 12 were pitchers, including eight relievers. And so it was a complete scramble. Many questioned if they were even have a representative big league team. They go into the Baltimore, win four in a row, go to New York, beat the Mets, make it a five in a row. Next thing you know, they're off to a seven and one start with uh, every bit of odds against them. So, um, and then they, they clearly, you know, had to fight their way through a tough uh, Eastern Conference there with the AL East and the, and the NL East. And, uh, and, and we're the, arguably the biggest surprise team in baseball this year when you consider they lost 105 games a year ago. Yeah, you talk about Don Mattingly, the, the manager who's, you know, obviously with the Dodgers and now with the Marlins. Um, what kind of leadership has he provided, uh, especially in this season where, you know, as crazy and wild as it has been for the Marlins? I, I know that there's going to be arguments from San Diego. I don't know whether Chicago will say, but uh, to me, he's the clear cut manager of the year. And it's for the qualities that, uh, that you, you mentioned. It's Don Mattingly's evenness and just his kind of, you know, never gets too up, doesn't get too emotional either way. And, and then some veteran leaders they brought in that literally had to hold it together. Because you can imagine, if you were uh, – and among the veterans who, who did not test positive that were in Philadelphia, guys like um, Corey Dickerson, Jesus Aguilar, um, Brian Anderson, who's with the Marlins the last couple of years as well, Brandon Kinsler, who's made the rounds, those guys literally had to hold the sanity of, their, of these players together. Like, you know, they're wondering – you know, they had Isan Diaz, a second-year guy – 
uh, second baseman opt out right in the middle of the like he was he didn't test positive, but it, the stress of everything he opted out right in the middle of the the COVID pandemic or the outbreak I should say that was affecting the team. So it was if it wasn't for that focus and they and literally in those hotel rooms they were like look because they liked what they were building in spring training back in in, in March and they liked what they were building you know you know leading up to you know the season they felt they had a lot even during the shutdown. There were group chats. This team really had a chance to say, hey, we're going to surprise people, even for 162. They had – and kind of a message they, they had among themselves were, was we have a chance to do something special. And especially when they went to Baltimore and won those and then went into New York and won there, it started to feed off itself. While others may have doubted it for justifiable reasons, they remarkably held, held strong. And Don Mattingly's leadership – and just, you know, making sure that the guy's sanity was in place because it would have been easy to fold tent and say, look, this is – I mean, he's walking through the clubhouse. They used 61 different players in a 60-game in a season. They had 18 guys make their MLB debuts. They had guys coming out of indie ball uh, throwing meaningful innings in, you know, guys that you know, no one ever heard of were, were coming in, and, and whether they gave them a week, a day, you know, they were, they were bridging until the core came back. So now – you know, by the by, the trade deadline at the end of, of August, they had like 18 of their guys coming back. Most of their regulars, they lost three fifths of their rotation, including their opening, their top three starters. And they came back, and they and the depth they accumulated in the process with some of the prospects that came up allowed them to make the trade for Starling Marte. So they they literally were able to, you know, some teams might get that one player at the trade deadline. The Marlins did get a really good player in Starling Marte, but essentially they made a trade for like seven or eight guys because Sandy Alcantara is back. Uh, uh, Sixto Sanchez, a, a top 20 basically prospect in all of baseball, comes in as a rookie and, and dominates from day one. You guys will probably see him in, in the series. Uh, you know, so you're adding like frontline starting pitching that literally was in your own, you know, your own camp. You didn't have to make a trade to, to go out and get, you know, the big name that might have been on the market. You mentioned Sixto Sanchez. Uh, how do you see this rotation playing out for the Marlins? How, how do you think they're going to line things up for this best of three series at Wrigley? Well, I, we, we know the three names, assuming it goes three. It's going to either be – it's going to be Sandy Alcantara will pitch one of the two. Uh, Pablo Lopez will pitch one of the two. And then Sixto Sanchez, the rookie. And then uh, left-hander Trevor Rogers, uh, rookie. He'll, he'll move into the bullpen in that kind of long relief role. So – what the Marlins feel they have going for them is all three of those guys throw complete gas. Like they're like 100 mile an hour stuff and they're strike throws. And these guys are going to determine not just this series, but if they advance and go farther, this is the key. And it's going to also be the, the long-term key to the Marlins because there's not the – they don't have the Atlanta Braves offense. You know, and most of these offensive guys are, are more stopgap guys, like I said, Dickerson and, and so forth. But their rotation is legit in their eyes. It's young. They use 13 different pitchers this year in 60 games. That's a really high number as well. But the guys they feel they're going to settle with, potentially all are going to be throwing 97 to 100 on a daily basis. And they got a couple other guys that throw 100 that are right behind them, ready to play next year. But specifically to Sixto Sanchez, the kid, he reminds me a lot of Jose Fernandez. And I saw Jose when he came up in 13. He's He's charismatic, not to the point of face of the, of the sport like Jose, but uh, he has that kind of Pedro Martinez comp in terms of physical stature, the, the kind of the way they, their deliveries. And, and he has this, he's not the most outspoken guy. He doesn't even, he doesn't speak English. He's from the Dominican Republic. 
uh, but he's got a real confidence and a real presence about him. And he, and he knows he can blow 102 by you. Now the question he's going to have is just, and I think what the Cubs are really going to try to do with their veteran hitter, it's like Rizzo and so forth. I think they're going to try to just run up the pitch count. I think they're going to try to foul, you know, they're going to do, they'll be more in that and then wait for the mistake or get them in a behind the count and then wait for a hundred and, and, and try to mash that. And, um, so that's to me where, you know, this Marlins team, but how do I think Don Mattingly and the, and the organization is going to set, set this up? All three of those guys are rested to go game one. Uh, the, the guy who makes the most sense to go game one is Sandy Alcantara, who was their opening day starter. Sandy pitched on um, um, Friday at the Yankees, won that game, and they closed out and clinched the playoffs. So he'll be perfectly on, you know, four days rest, his five-day turn. But I think what they want to do is I think, and Dom Manley kind of intimated that, do they want to go exactly on five days with Sandy or give him another day, meaning probably another day or two? Pablo Lopez is kind of unheard of, but you guys are going to see this kid got a really good fastball changeup combo. Um, uh, he's made a lot of stri- a lot of strides this year. He, he's in his third year. He was part of the, the 100 losses a year ago, uh, was a, a rookie in, in 98, like, like Sandy Alcantara was that year. A guy that's really looking like he could be a legit three or two in the big leagues. Uh, for a long term, and Pablo is kind of unflappable. I think he may go Pablo game one, and depends on the outcome of that game, who he goes game two. If they lose game one and they got to save the season, does he put the season in the hand of a 22-year-old with seven big league starts, including two kind of rough ones coming in, uh, in Sixto Sanchez, or does he want to go with Sandy Alcantara to save the season, force game three, and he's going to go with Sixto, then it's all hands on deck in a one game anyway. You have Trevor Rogers, another starter, a left-hander who throws 95. If, if Sandy goes three or four and, and scuffles, they could go uh, – I'm obviously – I'm sorry, six, though, if he goes three or four in game three, scuffles. He's got Trevor to go. Sandy's perfectly capable of going deep into that game as well. Well, I hope I'm saying six, though, not Sandy. I'm confusing him. But, uh, but Sanchez, if he's going game three, I, I think that it may line up that way. Or if the Marlins win game one, I think you could see six, though, game two, and they hold – uh, Sandy Alcantara for a potential uh, closeout game. You, you talked about the, uh, you know, turning to the bullpen, Trevor Rogers going to the bullpen. This is a bullpen that, you know, outside of Kinsler, uh, numbers-wise, seems like it's been struggling. Um, 26th in baseball and ERA. What can we kind of see out of the bullpen? Um, or, or what can what do you kind of expect to see out of the bullpen in, in a three-game series like this? Yeah, this is a, a, the weirdest year, guys, because, yes, you, you can look at, look at the run differential. I think, you know, they've got like a minus or so it's like they there's nothing if for con- conventional if you're looking at this in the context of 162 this makes sense and you could note that um you know the bullpen era and so forth but keep in mind they they had a, a positive run differential going to atlanta win the first two games there and then lose 29 to 9 so now your run differential takes a 20 hit but you take the series but you lose a historically bad game everyone sees that bullpen's terrible well guess who didn't pitch in that game any of the guys that are their, their main guys. They didn't throw their, their three primary guys. So for the context of the postseason, they, you look at the ERAs of Kinsler, Jimmy Garcia, and Brad Boxberger. And then you got James Hoyt and, and Richard Blyer, who's a left-hander. Those two guys are kind of that sixth inning or potentially Blyer can go try to get Rizzo and, and, you know, and the lefties in the Cubs lineup, and he can pitch, you know, face multiple batters. Hoyt's a, sli- a slide, uh, excuse me, a, yeah, slider guy. Gets a lot of ground balls. 
So they're going to have experienced guys and, and proven guys. Yimmy Garcia is kind of a find a guy from the Dodgers. Um, he's kind of their backup closer. Kinsler doesn't have a ton of swing and miss stuff, but keep in mind, guys, this is uh, Brandon Kinsler. They're playing the Yankees the other day. They blow a lead that Sandy Alcantara pitches into the eighth. The Yankees take the lead. They go to extra innings. They, they, the first batter is up, obviously, the guy's on second base. The Yankees get him to third on the bunt. So there's one out, the guy on third. And um, who was he facing? I can't remember. But he, he ends up walking somebody, like Judge or somebody, to get to DJ LeMayu, to load the bases, throws a, a breaking ball, gets him to hit a ground ball over the mound. Miguel Rojas just gobbles it up, turns a game-ending double play that puts him in the playoffs. And he says, I wanted to face DJ LeMayu. And, and, he, and he, with the bases loaded. Well, the, on the, the day or so before, when they were in Atlanta, he had to get his, the first six out save of his career. If they don't win that game, who knows? They may not even be in the playoffs. So they're, they're in Atlanta. He has to get a six out save. He inherits the bases loaded. And he basically in a bullpen said, told his, his buddies there in the bullpen, I'm going to strike out Adam Duvall in the slider. So the, there's no outs, bases loaded. He gets Adam Duvall of all people. Strikes him out with a slider and is openly laughing with the infield. Then he gets he minimizes that inning. He did give up an infield hit that brought in some runs. But the ninth inning, he strikes out Acuna, even though he's not a high strikeout guy. He walks Freddie Freeman after having him one two, but even with a I think he had a two run lead, he didn't want any chances with Freddie. Walks him, and he gets Marcelo Zuna, who's probably a top five MVP guy this year, leads the league in homers, and he and he gets him to fly out. And he's laughing on the mound at the most critical moment. Like, this guy is not going to be phased by anything. And, and he's like, he was after, after, after they got in the playoffs, if, you know, how does he feel? Everyone thinks they're overachievers. He said, why are we overachievers? Because some experts didn't think we should be here. Like, they, they could care less. So, so his, his kind of loosey-goosey attitude just is contagious to these guys. They're not now, obviously, look, I, guys, I was there in 03 for – the, the Marlins Cubs, and I know how electric, you know, I've been through the years to Wrigley, unfortunately, because of what we're dealing with, I'm covering from home, as many are in this day and age, not being there, and it kills me in a way not to be at Wrigley. I know what Wrigley's like in the playoff atmosphere. It's a completely different animal than, than just the nostalgia of being in Wrigley, but these guys are not going to be intimidated by the moment. They're not going to be uh, you know, so I think that could work to the Marlins' advantage, the young kids at least, in terms of anybody kind of, you know, knowing what it's like to have that crowd. Um, I was there in, in, in game seven of 03 when um, Kerry Wood hit that home run that, that tied the game in game seven before the Marlins ended up, you know, going ahead and winning game seven in Wrigley. And Mike Lowell said, and it was pretty definitely, he said, that's the loudest he's ever been in a stadium in his entire career was Wrigley Field, the explosion when Kerry Wood hit the game-tying home run in game seven in whatever that was, third or fourth inning. And, and so, yeah, that's a completely different animal. These Marlins, to their advantage, they're, they're just basically playing in the building with the Cubs, even though it's the historical Wrigley Field. It's not going to be the same atmosphere. It's the, the sadness of this season that we're not going to have the fans' passion as part of the, the postseason. Hopefully it picks up a little bit. Maybe the World Series there will be some fans, but – um, the environment's not going to be too much for tomorrow. 
That actually segues perfectly into, you know, what I was going to ask you about. I think there's a common misconception in Chicago, at least here, that the Marlins are a young team, but there are a lot of veteran-laden guys. You just talked about Brandon Kinsler's impact on this team, how the environment won't be too big for them. But um, how do you kind of see that playing out then in in terms of just the pressure of the postseason? So without fans and getting into this this aspect, how do you think – the Marlins will will handle things more than just the environment, maybe just kind of the pressure in general of this weird best of three series that we've never seen before. Yeah, it's a great point because this is a young team, as noted, yet they're, the, the, eight, the starting nine that will be out there won't have – let me think, I'm thinking uh, other than the pitcher, uh, and even if it's Pablo Sandy, they're not rookies. Uh, I don't think there's, there's not going to be a rookie in the group. They're, they're going to all be guys with, with mileage under their, you know, on their tires. And the beauty is the guys that are coming off the bench, that's where your prospects are, you know, this deep farm system. And, and ideally, guys, you know this. And even when, when the Cubs did their rebuild and such, you, you brought in guys to help the young guys. It doesn't – you don't just, oh, I'm going to throw, you know, eight, you know, rookie of the year candidates out there and hope that, you know, it, it doesn't really work. It, I've, I've covered a ton of teams that – the Marlins teams that they kind of did that way, you end up, end up ruining half of those guys because the pressure's too much. They're really being asked to do more than they should. So uh, how far the Marlins go offensively is going to matter. Like Corey Dickerson, who's just a real grinder. Jesus Aguilar, you guys familiar with him when he was with the Brewers a couple of years ago, had that big year. He looks more like that player than, than the struggles of a year ago. Uh, you know, they're going to be those type of guys. There's no stars. You know, uh, there's, there's no stars there on, on, in this lineup. Uh, but, you know, you got a bunch of guys that together are a dangerous combo of how they play. Brian Anderson's kind of a guy who's on the rise, third baseman who's homegrown. He, he was a September call-up back in 17, the last year they had Stanton, Yelich, Ozuna, and so forth. And so he got his – this kid's a legit deal. He's, he's one of the better third basemen in the National League, and he will be for a long time. He's a guy kind of hitting his prime. He's about the, the closest thing they have to a guy that looks like, you know, Bryant, you know, that, that type of player. And um, so the, the pressure is going to be how they adjust to, to Darvish. And, you know, they, those guys are, they're all veteran type. Matt Joyce has been a, a filling guy that, that that's come up. So they don't score a lot, but they get, they're very good with two outs and runners in scoring position. They're a very good two out hitting team. Uh, they, they're very aggressive on the bases. They'll steal a lot of bases. And they'll challenge there. And then they kind of tend to have those big innings. When the Marlins win, it's usually like that five to two. You know, when they lose, sometimes it, it gets really ugly. And then they'll throw the kids in and that final score may, may you know, inflate and makes that ERA, bullpen ERA look kind of worse than it really is. You mentioned the offense. And this team is second in, in baseball and steal, stolen bases. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, a throwback because, you know, we don't see a lot of steals uh, nowadays in baseball. Um, what what can you like? What will the Cub, What should Cubs fans expect out of the offense um, when it comes to speed and, and and stolen bases? And how crucial is that for the Marlins? They're really and now obviously the Cubs have really good defensive. The weird thing, guys, about this year and Dom Manley said uh, yesterday, we've been so locked in on the East. I know I have to literally think of remember who the players on the Cubs are because because we're not. You didn't look at you didn't see them all year. But, you know, Rizzo's as good as it gets defensively. Baez as good as it gets defensively. You know, those type of guys. So any anything they can exploit, they will. Um, and so whether they felt there was a weak leak somewhere, they will exploit that and they will run. They will look to force the issue. 
Monte Harrison is kind of their like designated pinch runner. If you know, if and that guy is a former football player who kind of rem- looks like Bo Jackson on the basis because he's a big dude and he's like super fast. He will and he's fearless. He, he goes. John Birdie is this kind of little guy. Uh, he's as fast as they come. He's their second baseman. He if he gets on, you know, they'll bunt it. They'll hit and run. They'll do, they'll do things like you know they, they'll put pressure. They added. Magnaris Sierra, who they got for the Neozuna trade, who's more of that, you know, prototypical, um, you know, fourth outfielder, defensive replacement, pinch runner, a slap hitter type guy. But his speed is off the charts. Lewis Brinson, when he gets in there, he's got elite speed. So they're very athletic. Um, like I said, if they feel they, they could, could do something, putting the ball on the ground, or, or if there's an outfielder whose arm's questionable, they will try to take those bases. So as you know, they have, what, 51 stolen bases in 60 games. Last year, they had 55 stolen bases in 162. So this team is going to run. This, this team will run. I do want to ask you about – you mentioned him earlier, Miguel Rojas. This is a guy who's been um, with the Marlins since, I believe, 2015. He's been through through the through the Ozuna, uh, Yelich, Stanton years, through the down years, and now he's in the playoffs. What's it kind of been like for him and, and how special it is? Because he's a, he's a charismatic guy. Yeah, yeah. If you guys seen him on Intentional Talk or anything like that, he, he's a really fun guy. He's probably one of the more likable guys in, in baseball. And, you know, he's a guy, as someone who he was, keep in mind, this guy was a throw in, in the D Gordon trade with the, with the Dodgers after the, the 15 or whatever. I, I lose track sometimes. Uh, when they got, when they got D Gordon, when the Marlins got D Gordon, uh, they, they got him. He was basically your super utility guy who you could put anywhere in the infield and he's your best infielder, including first base. And he could be that on a lot of teams. And he literally has bought into what they were building. And I think this is really key because when Jeter came in, Yelich made it quite clear he wanted out. Stanton made it quite clear he wanted out. Ozuna, they wanted to, they, he wanted to stay, but they didn't want to sign him. So they ended up having to trade him. D. Gordon, the same, but, you know, he got traded because of his salary. And so a lot of guys, then ultimately J.T. Real Muta made it clear he wanted out and left a year later. Miguel Rojas, and it's easy. It's frustrating to cover 105 losses. It's really hard to come to the ballpark when you see that unfolding. And Miguel Rojas literally, through all of it, bought in and and really helped. Not only that, he's from Venezuela, but he, he has a home in South in South Florida, is really active in the community, loves Miami, wants to be part of Miami, and wants to see Miami baseball be a real thing. And I think that's been a real big thing because through the years, the Marlins have been the, the place, it's been the launching ground for these guys. They come in, if they get a really good player, what do they do? They have Miguel Cabrera, they trade. You know, everybody gets traded eventually. So to, it's so refreshing to have somebody that says, I want to be a Marlin. You know, granted, he's not an all-star player, but it's a start. And his, you know, the way he embraces, the way he leads, the way he's accountable. During the pandemic and, and, and the lockdown, the shutdown, he reached out to me to say, Joe, if anybody in the media needs anything, let me know. He was that kind of guy. So he is easily the most rooted for player on the Marlins that, you know, he plays hard. Um, he'll get timely hits defensively. He's very good, very underrated. And, and, and he, the moment isn't big for him. And so he's the guy that you really, 
he's become, you know, if he's not the face of the franchise because he's not that elite talent, but he is kind of the face of the franchise for the fan base that, that just loves, you know, Chicago's had more than their share of those lovable, you know, guys who love Chicago want to be part. Miguel Rojas is a little bit of that to South Florida. Joe, before we let you go here, um, you know, this, as we've mentioned, this is going to be a very, very interesting series, a best of three here uh, at Wrigley Field without fans, all these different things. To you, what do you think the key will be? What, what do you think will decide this Cubs-Marlins wildcard series? Uh, you know, that's a really good, good question because the, the way the Marlins have played, they could either win this thing or get blown out in two because we've seen, those, we've seen the, the, the peaks and valleys. I really believe the Marlins had an injury yesterday, and they were literally going to be healthy going into this series. Starling Marte got hit in the helmet with a pitch. It hit the, the brim. They say scraped his ear, came out of the game. We hope it's no concussion. I don't think it is. They kind of just called it a bruised ear. If Starling Marte is not able to be an impactful guy at the top of the order, that's going to be, that's going to be big. But secondly, Jose Urania, LeMayu, a comebacker, it, unfortunately it hit him right in the forearm and broke and, and shattered his, fractured his forearm. So you feel bad for the player because he's been here since 15. This was going to be his first playoffs. They're going to move him to the bullpen. Well, by him not being there, if something were to happen, their, long, their right-handed long relief if in the length of this series, if it becomes an issue, if there's a 15-inning game along the way, or something, because apparently, right, it's not the 10th inning guy in second anymore. So this right. could be an inning game. I mean, who knows? You never know. They, I think that if that starting rotation, if the three guys they plan on roll, rolling out don't all go at least five and a third or six or more, I think that they're going to be really vulnerable in those innings. And losing losing a guy, it could seem inconsequential and maybe in, a, in the first series, but, you know, certainly if the Marlins got by this series and went to the next layer and as you go deeper in you're going to be logging innings in your bullpen and to have somebody that's capable of giving you three or four innings in the pen not there because you're getting away from the guys I noted in, in the Kinsler's you know give me if you line it up they don't blow the lead normally you know if they had if, if it's a traditional six innings seventh inning eight nine and they got a multiple run lead they usually win that game but if that game changes early if the starter if it gets to be a shootout type game and your starters out there early I think the Marlins losing Jose Urania is going to be really impactful in this series. That was good stuff right there, guys. And big thanks once again to Joe Frazaro, Marlins.com beat writer. I feel like I know just a little bit more about that Miami Marlins team. And, you know, one thing that to me is mind-boggling is the fact that, Tony, the Marlins have never lost a playoff series. You think that, oh, okay, they've, they've won two World Series titles, but, they, oh, yeah, that's exactly how it all adds up. Every single time they've made the postseason, they've hoisted a commissioner's trophy. So, uh, hopefully – that's not how things go, and hopefully that path of 2003 is not the one that this 2020 squad will travel. Yeah, no, it, it, it is really weird to think that the Marlins have not been in the postseason since 2003, um, but we kind of all know how that goes, and we don't need to go down that route right now on a, on a Cubs podcast here. But yeah, definitely, it, it's, it's going to be really interesting, and, and I think it's going to be fascinating, too, as we've talked about on this podcast, that the, the, the lack of fans and how that affects the, the series overall and, and a, a bunch of young Marlin starters who have not pitched in the postseason now are doing that on the road, but without fans in an environment. So I, I just think it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out and how these two teams go head to head. 
I don't know about you, Andy, but I'm interested to see how everything goes down on Wednesday. I know it's going to be nationally televised, but uh, for those out there who, who don't know, we will be having a, a pregame show on Marquee Sports Network an hour before first pitch. And we're also going to have a show on Tuesday that's going to be looking ahead to the wild card series. That's going down at 6 o'clock. That's going to be live. And uh, like I said, Andy, I don't know about you, but when it comes to this series, you know, I'm interested to see what this Cubs team is made of. You know, we, we've seen the bats come alive. We've seen the bullpen really start to hit their stride. And the last time I looked, it doesn't necessarily have to be the best team, which the Cubs, they were in the division that we know. That's why they're flying a 2020 National League Central Champions banner. But you have to be the hottest team. And at last look for the Cubs to be able to put that pedal to the metal and take two out of three versus the White Sox on the south side, that looks pretty hot to me. 25 runs in three games, it's not too shabby, man. Looks like the offense woke up, and I think it was Kyle Hendricks who mentioned it a week or two ago. He says, uh, I can't wait to get back to October and, and doing what we do in the postseason, winning. Um, as if the last three games are any indication, they might, they might have a few more wins up their sleeves for sure. Absolutely. Don't want to sound like a walking cliche, but since it is the postseason, you have to just take it one game at a time. And if they win on Wednesday and then they win on Thursday, then they have themselves a nice little four-day vacation, so to speak. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off, and then they get back to business on Tuesday. So, well, we'll see how things shake out until then, because it's going to be an interesting series, like we said, versus those Miami Marlins, the brainchild of Derek Sanderson Jeter, the only Yankee in the history of the franchise with 3,000 hits, as crazy as that is to believe. And as crazy as you believe, the postseason, it is finally here. So thanks for listening and tuning in to the Cubs Weekly Podcast here, presented by Win Trust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs checking. Open online today at wintrust.com slash Cubs. And remember, as always, if you want to give us a listen every single week right here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast, we'll download us on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcast. And until then, well, it is playoff season. So best wishes, everybody.